Welcome to the Axe and Anvil podcast, a discussion of craft between blacksmith Jordan Goodwin and filmmaker Bo Schultz. Join us as we travel around to talk with skilled craftsmen and learn from their adventures. So we're here at a place, a cool little place called The Land in Kingston Springs, Tennessee, just outside of Nashville. And um, I've met up with somebody, so Bryce and I, Bryce Hollingsworth, uh, we've been friends via Instagram for several years now, yep. finally meeting in person, yep. and Martin Beavers. And Martin and Bryce are dry stone wallers. Yep. It's a uh, very specific niche within um, traditional historical stone masonry. And these uh, dry stack stone walls done properly can last for a thousand years or more. Or more, yeah. Or more. So um, we've, uh, we've come to the, this, this place, the land here at Kingston Springs is um, home to currently the, um, what, what do y'all call it? It's a site for the Stone Trust, a expansion teaching site. site. An expansion site right. for thestonetrust.org, right? Mm -hmm. and, um, and it's a, it's a small educational facility yep. where people can, the land hosts, um, hosts the Stone Trust via Martin and um, people come here from all over to learn about dry stone walling. Yep. And I also get certified That's on occasion as well. So yeah. so yeah, so well, age before beauty, give us, give us your story. Give us your story. So, Martin, how did you? How, how, how did a waller story? from Yorkshire wind up in uh, Nashville? Right. <laughs> and how did you get into walling in the first place? Um, I got into walling because I live in a part of England, uh, Derbyshire. I was born in Sheffield, which is Yorkshire. Five miles over the border, there's Derbyshire. It's very quickly beautiful countryside, which is crisscrossed with hundreds of thousands of miles of dry stone wall and certainly if you haven't grown up there I've, I've taken Americans out there specifically Americans who just are blown away and it's like why and just like pretty much everywhere else in the world the whys are clearing fields of the stone and marking out boundaries and making stop walls and so it was the same over here, same in the northeast when they were building theirs, same down in, in Tennessee. That's the top and the bottom of why these walls were created. And you'll only find them in areas where there's stone, hence out of the fields. Um, where I lived in, in, in England just happened to be one of the areas which is massively dominated by these by these walls now you're going to come across them you might play with them you might climb one and knock it down and find yourself rebuilding it uh, as i did and and i guess it can either pass it, it can either interest you you can accept the beauty of it you, you can maybe not even notice them or you can become fascinated by them and if you're that kind of person you end up thinking, oh, I could do this for a living. And despite my, my, my degrees and, you know, my education and stuff, it just felt right to be in a field messing about with stone and building these walls. And it, in England, it is totally a rebuilding kind of work. And you are maintaining working walls. It's quite a common trade. I don't know the figures of the number of people who do it in the UK as opposed to in, in North America. I would imagine there are many more wallers in the UK. So oh, yeah. it was a kind of easy thing to get into. I couldn't work in an office. I mean, I couldn't, and I tried. I also preferred working for myself, being my own boss. This is something you can do. You could do it, certainly in the UK, with a hammer, and not much else. If you've got a car to get you to a field, it's an easy thing to just get into. And then your interest starts growing as your knowledge of it grows. And 
you've got to love it. It's a hard job. But when you get into it, it's all-consuming. Yeah. I was said to you earlier, you lose hours. And that's a beautiful thing. We've just both come from a job in East Tennessee. And it was like almost daily it would be, oh, it's lunchtime. Oh, my God, is it 12 o'clock already? Or that's it, we're wrapping up 6 o'clock. No way. And it's one of those wonderful things that you can do that just takes the world away while you're doing it. And so that's why I got into it. That's why it was easy to get into. The reasons for coming over here, really simple. I love country music. <laughs> and I promised myself that I would come over to Tennessee and have, on a tourist visa, you can have 90 days. So I came over in 2017 and took my 90 days in Nashville, Tennessee, home of country music. And um, I joined the NSAI. I wrote songs, I recorded them. I threw myself into Nashville. And the other weird thing that happened was just before I left, I was talking to a guy who said to me, what do you do for a living? I said, I build dry stack walls. He goes, I've always wanted one. Will you build me one? I said, I'm kind of on holiday, having a break from that. He said, oh, please, I've always wanted one. So I <laughs> built about a 30 foot long wall on, do you know the Love Circle in Nashville? I don't know if I do or not. It's down West End Avenue, just before you get to the 440 intersection. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's up there. And some days I could not work because people were stopping going, oh my God, we didn't know people still did that. So I got an inkling that there would be work here, that you yeah. could get work. Um, and when I left, I just, it was sad because I knew I could live here. There was an instant connection to Tennessee. The music, last night we go to the station in, just see this great little bluegrass band, not top professionals, just some guys who got this band. It was superb, was it not? I had a great time. There's music in the air, there's, you can feel it. And for me, that's way important. So I came here for lifestyle. It just happened to be that I can make a living here because there's loads of dry stone. There's, there's a tradition of dry stone wall in, in middle Tennessee yep. that people don't even know about in the Northeast. And, and so it was kind of meant to be. It was hard work getting the visa here, but I had to, I had to be here. So you do what you need to do. Uncle Sam said, yeah, here I am. That is awesome, that is awesome. I have to, I have to, I try not to interject, but I have to a little bit um, when you uh, were commenting about just how fast the time goes by mm. when you're, you know, you're lo losing hours when you're working. Um, do you know who Eric Sloan was as an author? No. So there's, there's some, he, he was a very prolific author and artist who was all into early, early Americana. He lived in New England and he wrote books like, um, there's Eric Sloan's America, um, Noah Blake, Diary of an Early American Boy, Museum of Early American Tools. There's beautiful books filled with his sketches and commentary. And um, in talking about the dry stone walls all over New England specifically, you know, he, he makes the comment that America was built by these stone walls in more ways than one. Because in America, so many of even the gentry, the gentlemen, very few people were above the manual labor. And even, you know, even in cases where there were lots of enslaved people, unfortunately, there would oftentimes the, the um, you know, their, the uh, gentry would be in there working with the laborers. Mm -hmm. And, um, but anyway, and uh, America was built by these guys thinking while they were building walls. It was just stacking rocks all day. What else are you gonna do besides do your work and think? <laughs> I mean, if you wanna take it more from what it really is, because back in the UK, we have a very down-to-earth view of it. We're yeah. just building walls. They're yeah. just walls. I've heard it said in these DSWA meetings, it's just a bloody wall. Yeah. Why are we talking about it? It's, it's a, right? But, <laughs> It's weird and so if you get a little bit more kind of thinking about it, it's a really therapeutic yeah. kind of, it's zen. Very. I couldn't get away with saying that in the <laughs> UK. 
And uh, blacksmithing is much the same because, I you know, there's some, there's some work that's so repetitive, and I'm sure it's probably this way in walling. There's some stuff that you get into some really easy material or whatever, and you, you can think about mm. other things, your mind can wander. But in, a, in blacksmithing, there's a lot of it. It requires just enough concentration because you're not thinking about anything but your work. Mm. The next hammer yeah. blow, the next whatever, the next rock to be laid. Anyway, yeah. that, 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 I'll, I'll quit ranting. But. So, so Bryce, what about you? How did you, how did you get into stonewalling? How did you find it? How did it find you, whatever? <laughs> sure. I mean, I grew up doing a lot of manual labor and I always really liked it. Um, we uh, didn't have a whole lot of money growing up, and so there was a big emphasis on, you know, getting an education, get a good job, you know? And so that was always the focus, but I really liked, you know, I'd work, my Uncle Jay builds houses in Kentucky, and I'd work construction with him in the summers, and like, I did a bunch of odd jobs and landscaping and things like that, and I really liked it. Um, but I always just kind of figured, well, I'm not su supposed to have that kind of job, you know, like I'm supposed to get, you know, one of these kinds of jobs. These are the kind of jobs I'm supposed to get. I'm supposed to, you know, sit at a desk, make a good paycheck. That, you know, that is the focus. So I'm not supposed to wear your body out. Nope. Don't get broke down doing manual labor. Yeah. <laughs> so, and like I, I grew up playing sports and stuff, and I always liked that side of things. And uh, I went to college, and I, you know, I got a, a desk job after college, and I did that for a couple of years, and I, I hated it. Um, and I was good at it, which was frustrating, because it's like, anyway. Uh, I, I did it for about as long as I could, kind of similar to Martin, you know, I, I did the desk job thing for a while and, you know, you have so many, nothing you're making is really tangible, right? It's all on a computer, it's a presentation, it's a this, it's a that, it's all very abstract, but like at the end of the day, you're not physically creating anything. So I had enough of that and uh, I started working as a laborer for a guy named Lloyd Hull in Connecticut. And I, I mean, he spent the first month just trying to make me quit. Like, he just, you know. Made life miserable Oh, for he you. did. Now, was he a waller or? Yeah, no, he, uh, he kind of was a jack of all trades. So okay. like, which was a good kind of early exposure because I did a bunch of different things. You know, mm -hmm. He did landscaping, he did stonework, Mortar work, dry work, concrete, foundations, some basic carpentry, kind of a little bit of everything. Uh, but it was good because I got to like play with a lot of different things. And it was very clear that I really liked the stonework the best. You know, like he first showed me how to, you know, we started with Connecticut field stone walls. And I was like, oh, I could, I could get into this. Um, and as time went on, I just kept doing more and more with the stone and like, you know, I kind of started doing less landscaping. I started doing less wet work, less of all the other stuff, like stopped doing concrete work completely. And then it just turned into like, I just do stone. That's all I do. And I threw myself in it hard. And you, did you go full time on your, out on your own somewhere in there or? I, uh, I, for a couple of years, I worked for various different people and I would, <laughs> I'd work like four or five days a week for them and then I would work, do my own jobs like the other two, three days. So I was full on like seven days a week, 12 to 14 hour days for a couple of years, uh, which was not sustainable. Uh, <laughs> but while doing all that, anytime I wasn't working, I was reading about stonework, I was talking to other dry stone wallers or masons, just learning everything that I could you know, I spent time working for uh, Jeff Duggan, a master craftsman in Australia. I like lived in his woodshed <laughs> for two months, That's walling awesome. in the winter there. Uh, I went over to Ireland to work with Fergus Packman, who is also a fantastic waller. Uh, I got to work with Josh Bowes, also in Australia while I was down there. 
So, I mean, every, I like every single minute of every day has been a considered effort to like getting as good at this as I possibly can. And then, yeah, eventually it got to the point where my side jobs were getting too big. And I just, you know, I was like, I can do this. You know, I don't need to be working for somebody else. You can pick and choose right. jobs you want to do. I can, I can hold jobs to my standard. You know, you never want to have to sacrifice quality for someone else's schedule, anything like that. So, yeah, eventually I went off on my own, and that was the best decision I ever made because I can take whatever jobs I want. I can, I mean, as you know, I travel all over. I don't care where the job is so long as the job is something that really interests me, you know, I'll go to the other side of the country. Down I'll your, come down here. Down to your standards. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That, that is, that is so important. And it's something that I, I, I consistently run into with the best craftsmen, you know, across many trades is the best ones are those that, uh, try really hard not to compromise on, you know, what they value mm. in quality and craftsmanship. Right. I think when you're, when you're working for yourself and you're your own boss, the book stops with you and you, I can't leave a job if I think I've, I, I can't, it's, it's got to be done right. That's right. And you get found out very quickly. If you, if you maintain a high standard, you'll get known for it, won't you? That's and exactly it's, it. And, and, and it's personal pride. Yeah. And yeah. there's plenty of people throwing it up. There's few people who really do it right. Yeah, exactly. In blacksmithing, I've been learning that, learning that lesson about like sticking to your standards the hard way. But um, I'm learning that, you know, whatever I'm passionate about, quality and craftsmanship standards, um, I just enjoy the work more. Yeah which makes me more productive. Yeah. Even if I'm putting, you know, even if there's things about my work, that, you know, details that I'm putting in that I'm not getting paid for and nobody else cares about, or maybe even nobody else will see, mm-hmm. you know. And well, I'm, sure it's, I'm sure it's that way with the center of a wall, you know, Martin yeah, was yeah, explaining yeah. to us earlier, y'all were explaining yeah. the, the harding of the wall and how it's just as important as the outside of the wall. If you're and, uh, haphazard You, you care about wall. every little piece. You have to. I mean, if you just throw it in, and you don't pack it properly, you don't pin it properly, no one's gonna see it. No one else is gonna know until it doesn't last the way it ought to. I mean, so so much of what is the most important is what's not seen. Yeah. Because anybody can throw up a pretty face, right? You can throw up a nice looking wall that the average lay person won't know whether or not it's good or bad and you can take the money and run, and the wall falls down because you did not hold yourself accountable to what really matters, and that's the structural integrity of the wall. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, everything that's unseen is so important, and that only works if you're consistently holding yourself to that level. Uh, Martin, could you, for the sake of our listeners, could you uh, give us a quick breakdown without your visual aids <laughs> of the the structure the components of a good quality dry stacked wall like what obviously like y'all are so passionate about this like what makes dry stacked walls so great and what makes a great dry stacked wall some of these may be moot points and debated about we, but we were having a debate this morning. <laughs> I love that. I, well, I, I, don't, I don't want to have a debate right now. <laughs> right. First thing that's important, crucial, is your foundations. Now, in the UK, we just lay on dirt. So we will take the grass away. It'll be the first part of hard earth that you come to. You want to make it flat. You want to make it so when you put the foundation stones in, that they're laying right. Like Bryce was saying, maybe slightly tilted in. Um, That's key. A lot of the repairs that I've done to the old walls, the biggest part of the job was resetting the foundation. So they're they're really important. If you get that wrong, 
Um, you might build a nice wall, but gravity's going to send it down the hill if you yeah. tilt in that way. So a good flat one. Um, I won't go into alternative methods of doing it. That's just how I learn. It's good for the UK. I know for a fact it isn't good for all parts of North America. We talked about it this morning, Bryce and I. Um, the the key th I notice, right? You, they say there are five rules to dry stone walling, and that'd be bigger stones at the bottom, lengthen, by which I mean you will the longest part of the stone is pointed into the center of the wall. You'll get oftentimes the smallest face bit showing, which is counterintuitive to any other type of masonry. You need the weight in the middle. It's like stacking firewood, the log, right? That, that is crucial. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of walling back in England with very irregular limestone, certainly in Derbyshire. It's very small, it's very irregular. The only way you can get those things standing up is the length in. That is, that is a big thing. It's one of the, what they call the five rules. It's kind of important. The hearting is crucial. Bryce and I are going to be working on a project um, later on this year and it's fallen down. It probably wasn't built that well. It was laid, as we call it, trace walled. So the length of the stone is running along the wall. The length isn't in. Well, we're going to have to put this wall back with the stone that's there. So we're going to have to kind of put them lengthways again, but a way of making that wall strong so it'll put up with that poorly built bit of it is to pack it with heart and pack it well. You've got a brief um, sort of demonstration of us doing that. It, it's, it's, it's a part of building as well. In fact, when you've been looking for stones and you're finding a hard job getting the right stone and you're putting in your, you finish your course, it's really nice to spend a bit of time just away from choosing your stone, just packing it well. That's crucial as well. Pack it tight. Um, you're coming up the wall, batter. Now, this is a debatable part of walling because I know for a fact in England there's eight foot high walls with absolutely no batter. They've got a flat cap over that protrudes. Um, they, they stand up, they're dry, um, they don't have any batter. Batter does help the stability. Um, the way I was taught it is make the wall wider at the bottom than it is at the top. That's about it. They go a little bit more specific in, in the US. They will teach it as a one in six batter. Yep. So for every six inches you go up, you're coming in one. From either side. And so it's going up like that, yeah? Um, so the wall looks like yeah. a wedge. So you've got an A yeah. kind of shape. That's there. the most, most common uh, batter. There are a couple other ones that are heavily used too, but. so. I, I would say probably one of the lesser of the five important rules, and it's debatable whether you need it as well. If, you, if you're building a retaining wall, you might want to put more of a batter in. The thing to remember as well, so I've done what? Bigger stones at the bottom, lengthen, um, hearten, crossing your joints. This is kind of important as well. Um, where two stones meet like that, the one on top, I don't know. Uh, the one on top should cross that joint, the joint where they 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 um, they meet. Certainly, if you build up the wall and you've got five six courses of rock, and they all meet, and you've got what we call a running joint, that will be a, a point weak of weakness. Spot. Huge weak spot. That will fail, guaranteed at some stage. You might be lucky. You might get five years. You might get ten, but it will fail there. Yeah. Um, um, I, I'm nearly there. That's five. Through. I've, I've mentioned the throughs. Yeah, throw that out there. Um, and you, we demonstrated those. The one thing that I think is really important to mention with all these five important things is you cannot always do them. Um, the beauty for me with doing this dry stack is stones aren't bricks. They're not perfect. They're not all the same. You can't always find the stone that you want to cross that joint. You can't find one that's length thin that fits that gap. You can't always 
have all the bottom of the, the wall with the biggest stones. You might have to put bigger stones up there. You can't always get throughs in. There might not be throughs. Um, all these things can be compensated for when you've built long enough to realize what you can get away with. And I don't say that in a way where you're, you're trying to make shortcuts for yourself. It's not. You just simply can't do them all, do all the, the time. But you do the best. You do the you best. Have. You yeah. try and make the... And that's kind of what you're doing. You're trying to do the best you can with the stone you've got that doesn't fall down. I mean, you have to play the cards you're dealt, right? You know? So the rules, but are kind of guidelines as well. You need to know them, and you need to know how to get around them. And that's why building walls isn't like laying brick. No. I think that's it. And that's here at this, th that makes me think about, you know, here at this um, site, this test site, teaching site, whatever, where you have these short sections of walls that you build up and tear down all the time for classes. They never go back together exactly the same way. Never. No. Ever. Never. Yeah. No. I mean, you could have, you could have the same person tear down and rebuild the same section of wall. It's not going to be the same. Yeah. Especially once you start adding other people, you know, the point of, the point of this site here is to teach people and hold them accountable to putting into practice these rules of construction to the best of their ability so that they know what is and isn't right from a structural standpoint and you know to martin's point sometimes if, if you're doing a historic rebuild and they want to use all the same stone and they don't want to bring in new stone and they don't want to change anything about the wall you've got to use what's there and you have to use your knowledge base in order to build that as best as possible. To the wall that we're going to be repairing later this year, it's gonna be, uh, some sections will be a total rebuild. You know, one of the big parts that uh, we can address is the fact that there was not enough harding in that wall, so there's a lot of airspace, and that was one of the reasons it failed. So, okay, we can, we can bring harding, we can bring material, and make sure that that space is taken up. The foundations were not done well. We can redo the foundations, we can do that. But can we change everything about this wall? No, right? They want us to restore it to how it was just built more structural. They don't want us just ripping it down and bringing all new stone in and making a completely different wall. Right. right? So and they wanted to roughly approximate the look that oh, it when it was first made. We're going to be leaving certain sections of the original wall up, mm -hmm. so it's going to have to tie in and match. Yeah, it needs to look the it same. It has to be the same. Down. So you're doing everything you can to, to create what you're being asked. But yeah, again, it's not bricks. They're yeah. not perfect cut, like cookie cutter pieces that are. And they're not going to go back together the same way. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. And this is why, you see, the exam, um, the professional scheme that we both started out, the DSWA um, levels for dry stone walling, th there's four of them. And, um, and the DSWA is? Dry Stone Walling Association. And that was started in Britain in the 60s. Um, it was, I think it was the first actually written down and structured method of teaching dry stone walling. Which, by the way, and I forgot to mention this, but it was all trial and error when this art sort of developed. It was just regular guys in the fields putting walls up that may have fallen down. They came up with this yeah. over however many years. Nobody really knows, but they came up with this way uh, of doing it. So. The DSWA set up this 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 scheme um, for teaching it, right. and it's just four 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 levels before you get to master craftsman. And what they like to do in the UK, and I kind of agree with it, is you take level one and two. That means you can repair a gap in a wall for level one. On level two, it means you can do the wall end, which we call a cheek end. You can build that. So at this point, you can build a freestanding dry stack wall with two ends on it that just stand up on its own. 
then they want you to do, I was told, because a lot of people want to go into level three. Um, I was told to get in the field and wall for five years and then come back. And that was where I learned. Because that's kind of, that's as perfect as you may get. That, that sort of, it's flat, there's perfect plenty conditions. of space to move, there's all the stone that you need. Right. That's an ideal situation. In the real world, you're not going to get like that. Right. You tear it down and then that's what you have. So the practice of working in the real world is where you learn your chops, eh? Yeah. And, and then you can get on one of these old walls and put it back right because you've taken enough of them down and seen how you do it. I have so many questions. <laughs> so a co here's a couple. <clears throat> you mentioned earlier about how important the foundation was as mm -hmm. the first of your five points. Um, some of the old walls that you've had to rebuild, um, do you think some of those were because the foundation wasn't done properly? Like, do you, so, so the first question, that, that question is more like, um, I'm sure you see like good craftsmanship and poor craftsmanship, even in walls that are 150 years old, 200 sure. years old. And, um, and then at part two of that is like, have you ever learned something, some little trick um, from a wall that you're rebuilding? That's a good question, though. Uh, the foundation bit, the last wall that I did um, around Nashville, it was a rebuild, it's a historic wall, it's a wall that went around an old, I'm not sure it was a plantation, but it might have been a large estate mm -hmm. house or something like that. And it, nobody knows exactly how long it had been there. It had been there a long time. And some of it is still standing, but you can walk along it and it's built on, right, the field goes like that, flat, and then it drops down and the wall's built right on the edge of where mm -hmm. the ground slopes down. Now, the wall along the whole length, and we're talking maybe, I don't know, a thousand feet long, maybe a little more than that, um, all the second stones have slipped beyond mm. the foundation stones. Yeah. So yeah. the foundation was not made flat, or as I repaired it, it's tilting back now, ever mm. so slightly against where that, where the earth sort of slips down the bank. Um, and all the st on the bits that had fallen down, all the foundation stones were tilted out. Mm. All the stones on the top there had slipped two, three inches. And as I said to the guy, wow. you know the whole wall's gonna have to be repaired at some stage. Yeah. Um, Did they build it too close to the edge? I, I mean, the thing is, it might have been there 150 years, in which case it's not done bad. And that weight of stone, because for every, every square yard, it's about a ton of stone. That's a lot of weight. So I think, I mean, some of the, one thing I didn't mention about foundation stones, it's good to get a large surface area on them because they'll spread the weight of the stone above. And spread that's kind of what you want. So big, wide, flat, yeah. if you can get them, you can't always. So some of the foundation stones were trace laid and so they're going to tip really mm. easily. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, there, there, was, there was some degree of knowledge whoever built that wall, but they did make a they didn't spend enough time on the foundation. And when yeah. I rebuilt it, it was two hours on the foundation and then maybe four hours just building that section again. But it's a, it's a significant part of the rebuild, just digging it out, resetting it. So it, in my mind, it's, it's crucial, I really. Mean, I see a lot of that. I've done a lot of historic rebuilds in New England and there have definitely been times where, you know, they had the they had the stone, and they just it wasn't used properly. And, and you can be like, "Yep, that's why it failed." Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, in those situations, it's usually just a matter, like Martin was saying, like you have to get it down to the foundations, dig it out, put the proper stones there, and then you have what you need to rebuild the wall. It just was, uh, you know, either not done as well as it could have been, or you know, just poor stone selection. And by that, I mean the Waller's decision-making of yeah. when to use what stones. Yeah. So the, the second part. Right, great question. <laughs> I don't know if I have. 
I think, and I think we all go for the critique of a wall, don't we? We always look at what's wrong in a wall. Well, I think, <laughs> I think, we, all, I think we all do. We're really critical yeah. of... We, yeah, the other thing as well, because it's... I mean, our it's, job is to be problem solvers. Yeah, you look at a wall that somebody else has done and you don't want to, but you, you notice the running joints, you notice like things that aren't right first before you go, but it's nice looking, it's nice looking. Yeah, good ball, well done. Um, <laughs> it, nothing's springing to mind if I've, if I've, if I've like, learned anything from taking a wall down. Every question is leading me to another. I just gotta ask, as a lifelong, like, uh, you know, obsession with like treasure hunting and stuff, what's the coolest random object you've ever found in a wall? Oh, I found a hammer. That's pretty cool. I found like a 200 year old hammer. That's pretty cool. That I now use. Yeah. Pretty regular. Now that's even Where cooler. was that found? <laughs> I found that in Connecticut. Really? Is it a stone, stone working hammer? Yeah, it's like a four pounder. Wow. Stamped. Like I was able to find out. Wow. Yeah. It was just... I, I want to see the, I want to see the stamp. You got to send me a picture. <laughs> yeah. It's like an A. I okay. Um, yeah. No, I use it. I use that it all is, the time. That is, that's no, no handle. Cool. No yeah. handle, but just the head. It was totally fine. I cleaned it up, put a new handle on it. Totally fine. That is awesome. What about you, Martin? Right. Our walls are a lot older, although 200 years, that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> I, I found this in a wall. Uh, that's one thing that I found. Is that, is that a piece of slate? I or? don't know what it is, but it was like no other stone that was there. And it's it, a little carved. Well, I, I, I kind of just grooved okay, into okay. the mark that was there. But just a random chip of an yeah. unidentifiable stone. It was the only stone that was made out of that material on the walls, so I made it my necklace. That's um, The best thing, we, we get a lot of old bottles, mm. like really, yeah. really old bottles, old like bottles. 16th century kind of bottles, yeah. 17th century. Drinking 17. on the job, done with the bottle, just stick it oh, in the God. bottle. Oh no, <laughs> there's a story, the, Bel <laughs> the Belmead Plantation. Okay, yeah. There was a Scottish guy who was repairing a lot of the dry stone walls there. They subsequently fell down, right? But every I can ten, see what's coming. Every 10 yards, they find a little whiskey bottle. Oh! A little whiskey <laughs> bottle. And, he was and then like, you're like, that's why the wall failed. <laughs> so, but I found it really old, and it was thick, old, green, glass and it just said poison on it <laughs> and i had loads of bottles I, you don't I, want to know the story behind that I, one <laughs> i threw them out when i when i moved over here but i they were like 50 or 60 of these really old bottles bottles, yeah. bottles. bottles. wow i found a lot of teacups like teacups in old walls like someone drinking tea on the job or maybe it's you know you're out on the farm yeah. And you're done with your tea, so you set your cup. I mean, it just falls in. My family does this on sure. our farm. It's like coffee cups everywhere. But you yeah. you set it on the most obvious right. place yeah. or whatever that's not on the ground, and then you forget it. It's yeah. a great way of dating a wall as well. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So when when they come to that place that we've just built in East oh, Tennessee, yeah. they're gonna find lots of cans of spindrift within there, <laughs> and they go, mm, yeah, that puts it. No, maybe. Um, yeah, maybe a couple of Gatorades. <laughs> oh, that is really cool. Yeah. What can a wall say about its builder? <laughs> wow, that's a me question. Okay. Um, I think a, I think a wall could say a lot about its builder. You know, uh, uh, there there are a lot of different personalities uh, on a job site and a lot of different people that I've met, but. Um, I think there's a quite a lot of commonality in people who are good wallers in terms of their standards, you know, their work ethic, passion. Like you have to like this. It's not a fun job if you don't like it. I mean, that's what you like. Um, but you see such interesting variation in like people's styles, their individual styles. Some people build really tight tight, clean walls. Some, some people focus more on like a rustic, more, you know, kind of has more of like a flow to it. They're both structurally sound and they might even be the type, same type of stone, but it's just the way these two different people's approach is, is so different. The way they see the stone, the way they visualize space, 
like is completely and totally different. Um, and you know, it's easy enough to look at a bad wall and you're like, okay, well, I can tell a thing or two. But you, when you look at some really nice walls, you you can see a lot. But how the stone selection and the and the way they were put together, and the way the interior was done, if you ever end up you know building over them or anything like that, uh, you can. I think it says a lot about the person. Yeah. You know, and uh, that's why I try to work with as many different people as possible because seeing that's really awesome. But like ha for me, having to build on top of someone else's stuff, you kind of have to think like them a little bit. And it's way, Martin can't sit down and explain to me how he builds walls. And I can't sit down and like the actual what's running through our heads. But when I build on top of his stuff, you have to figure out, oh, this is what, he was setting himself up for this. He was leaving a space for this. Like, you know, it's really easy to always build over your own stuff because you kind of know how you do things. You know your game plan, right? So when you're working with other people and you're building with other people, it makes you kind of have to tap into where they're at because you kind of have to play that game a little bit. That's that's fascinating. Yeah. To, uh, like having having a wall that might be two hundred years old that you that, that you have to repair, and and in some sense you're you're collaborating with its original builder. Yeah. I, to take that as I feel like the the natural progression from that discussion is like, and I was getting really like you're saying like philosophical, but um, like how do you think both of you like how do you think walling has shaped your own outlook on life, your character. I feel like, from the outside looking in, I mean, I think I could, I could like go off on a rant of an hour about it, but I just feel like walling is, as a trade, just so condenses so many amazing metaphors for life and whatnot. But anyway. I would never say that. <laughs> when you went, hey, don't think building a wall is like yeah. a metaphor for life. <laughs> uh, I, I know this is probably a pet peeve, but no, 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 it's no. fine. It's fine. Um, it's a good question. I, I, do you know? I think I start my workshops along the lines of, look, don't be overall, but this is easy. This yeah. really is simple. Right. And I think it's helped me demystify a lot of other stuff because something that maybe looks sort of for a lot of people it's beyond them figuring out but when you get into it it's not actually that hard it really isn't it's quite simple once you're explained how they do it you just have just... to figure out the principles and then like you said stick to them as best you can and so just if build you a lot of wall yeah, and it... get a lot of miles in but if you apply that to other aspects of life i think it's made me more determined to figure other stuff out I remember putting a bid on for my, my first state job in Tennessee and I couldn't work out the programme. The, the website was shocking and I couldn't work out the programme. And it was like, people bid on me, you can do this. A bit like, and I did it. And, and a bit like, no, you can figure this out. You can build this wall. You can get your head around it. It's such a common sense kind of thing, which leads you to think about other stuff with more common sense, I think, maybe. I Good know. foundation. Tying things together. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I think for me, it's probably made me a more patient person. Mm. Work in progress. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, for you. Um, no, I mean, I, I'm definitely a lot more patient than I used to be. It's also made it easier for me to prioritize what is and isn't important because that's almost like selecting stones in life if yeah um but also like not getting bent out of shape about things that don't matter yeah like you can you know you can't get too fussy you can't get too worked up about something if something's not working okay do something else like yeah i can't do this right now i can do that okay, work I'll with what that. you've got and be thankful for what you have yeah so i i think it has carried over into a lot of different parts of my life, for sure. Yeah. Why dry stack stone? I mean, 
think of where it came from, think about how it developed, and it's a really simple way of clearing the fields, and why would you want to bring a load of cement to the middle of nowhere to make it stand up? No, it, it's like, like you saying, what you got, just using what you got and making something out of it that's functional. Um, it was, I guess, the simplest way they could do that. It's a single ingredient. Yeah, no, nothing else needed. It's all there. Yeah. You can wall without any tools. Oh, yeah. If it's just a case of getting a load of stone together because you need to get it out of the field and you might Stack want it. You can do it with two hands. You can do it in, you know, it's, it's, it's the simplest way. It involves nothing else. It's really quite pure in that way, isn't it? Which is why it annoys me a little bit when they're throwing a lot of modern building methods in alongside it. Or just slapping it up full of mortar and then... I mean, I don't have a problem with mortar to work. Good mortar to work is good. You know, I, I appreciate the quality and craftsmanship just like that. But I see a lot of sloppy mortar work where it's just like, I mean, you just yeah. throw it in. Gluing it together. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, well, that's just a shame, you know? There yeah. are walls where there's more water, it's like... It's more mortar than the stone. Yeah. So what are you doing? It's gonna look good. Johnny Cash's house in Hendersonville, whoever did that? Oh, yeah, we don't have to throw our names. <laughs> it's Nashville. <laughs> These people live there. Yeah, right. Is it bad? Well, yeah, they, they actually, the story of it is, they took down a dry <laughs> stone exactly wall. Let me tell you exactly how bad it is. I, right, I got called to a job up in Kentucky, around oh, Bowling right. Green, and it was a dry stack wall and it was loads on the property and he said how much is it going to cost to get this replaced and i gave him a quote and it was too much but he told me the story of it he said this wall used to go on way longer one of johnny cash's guys was looking for stone when he was building the house in hendersonville and he wanted a load of limestone saw the wall and he bought it bought wholesale the bought the wall just i'll take that thank you took it back down and so I said, I'll go and have a look what he did with the stone, thinking he might have recreated another beautiful wall. And no, he just, he's created these horrible mortar, and where there's more mortar than stone, I've got a photo somewhere, I'll not dig it out. Um, just horrendous. So you've got the, a beautiful wall, just bastardised into some ugly thing by Johnny Cash. <laughs> really lost a lot of respect for that. Or maybe his, his mason. Don't, you don't have to hate on Johnny. It could have been whoever. You know, Johnny's mason. I, a lot of people, I mean, t I think a lot of people are just victimized by their ignorance. You know, they don't know when a cr craftsman is doing terrible work for them because they don't, they just don't know. Yeah, yeah and some craftsmen. And it's really, it I think the, the, the responsibility is ultimately on us craftsmen it is. to set the standards that's why we're for here. our crafts. That's why we're doing this. That's and why. to educate. That's, I mean, that's why we're sitting here in front of yeah. recording is because, you know, we can help educate the public yeah. on those standards. But 100%. No, you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Why do you think uh, stonewalling changed? to be so much of a, of a wet stack that it is today? And what are the consequences of it? Do you mean like the veneer and block? Yeah. It's that cheaper, it's quicker. It's cheaper and quicker. And it's, and, sorry, I shouldn't be answering. It's not my, not my trade, but it, it just seems to me it's like, um, it's, it's mainly, you can just hire anybody. No, I think no. To slap, um, to slap veneer against block no, with mortar. There's some really good crews I can appreciate. There's yeah. some beautiful. Oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not knocking everybody walls. that does that. They're quick, yeah. they're cheap, they know what they're doing and they've yeah. got it down to a fine art and I don't consider it competition. Or right. also, it's not. <laughs> a lot of times it's simply aesthetic too, right? Yeah. Someone has an exposed foundation. It's not a stone foundation, but they want it to look like a stone foundation. Or it's a brick or block chimney, yeah. and they want it to look like a stone chimney, right? It's more of like just a big move away from structural stone in general, right? It's almost a big move towards aesthetic stone. Yeah. That's a big, that's huge. People built with stone because stone was strong, right? Right. right. But, you know, Durable. if you have a poured concrete foundation, 
or you pour a concrete wall and then you face it with veneer. You it know doesn't I mean? need to be structural. No. Right. So I, I would say yeah, that was a, a huge move. Yeah. You know, when granite was the strongest thing around, you used it, right? Yeah. And and when structural concrete becomes a thing, you just you use it. It's but really when convenient. The, it's here's the weird thing. You know about Hadrian's Wall? Mm-hmm. Right. That is mortared. Right. And that was 40-odd BC. Yeah. Something around that time. I think that was Caesar. It was 42 or 44 BC. Even, I had no idea they were messing around with mortar back then. Well, and even concrete. Like, you know, it's an, it's an ancient Egyptian and Greek thing. You know, it's not a new thing, but it's definitely our use of Portland cement. Yeah. It's, it's not really. Mm. Yeah. What's the most challenging project that you've done so far? Uh, I've got to say the last one. Yeah, I don't think we can really talk about that. <laughs> yeah, we've got the last one. Non-disclosure well, act, we, I'm we afraid. Can't is talk about it. Non-disclosure agreement. Definitely What's the, the second thing? most challenging project? <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure. My level three test. Yeah. I'm not going into that. Yeah. I'm trying to think. <laughs> Well, most recent, let's see, the hardest. Okay, I mean, I'd say, actually, I know exactly which one. All right, I don't know why that was a question. Uh, about a year ago, I did uh, a series of fieldstone walls for this guy in uh, eastern Massachusetts. Uh, I was on a pretty tight schedule. It was like a two, two and a half hour drive from my house. So I like lived on site in a camper. Um, and he had this huge, massive boulder that I had to split in half. Uh, and I was going to build walls that tied into the boulder on either side, a couple sets of steps, and then another wall on the other side. It came out to something like 70 tons of material not including the boulder that I split in half, the half I split off had to be split off again because an excavator could not pick up the half I split off. It was this wow. massive boulder. I think it took me 30 wedges spaced six inches apart and a 14 pound sledge to like split this in half. And you basically have one try because if you do the split wrong, there you go. Um, but uh, it was all glacial till, no shaping, super hard super dense um, and I think I, I like I said I was on a pretty strict timeline so I was just living there working there hours didn't matter wake up go to work until I can't and sleep in the camper and I think it was 70 tons that I moved stacked and built in like 15 working days. Wow. Um, and I was literally just eat, sleep, build. It's over four tons a day on average. Assuming you only moved each stone one time, which you yeah. didn't. <laughs> Not including, I had to like make my own harding. So I'm like bashing up rocks with a sledgehammer. We were using everything that was there. Uh, but it was a really good exercise because like you're not trying to you're not trying to shape the rocks you're not trying to like you have to make it happen everything's really heavy everything's really dense and i mean it came out awesome but you just had to go like you just had to go all day every day and i thought that was a pretty challenging job just from a the combination of the materials and the timeline. Yeah. So, and I'll just throw in here. I follow you on Instagram, so I know I've seen a bunch of pictures of this job. Mm -hmm. So if you want to see Bryce's work, go check him out on Instagram. Stone Bear Mason. That's right. Stone Bear Mason on Instagram. And I'm very poor at keeping. <laughs> I was gonna say I would. I'd plug media. you. I don't know where we'd go to look at your work. <laughs> Um, I'll, I'll start posting his work. There you right. go. Hey, Mar go. Martin did something really nice today. 
he's, he's trying to teach me how to be better on, on the social media. I'll get there. Can we at least find your country music? My country oh. music? You mean stuff that I've written? You came to, to Nashville and you did recording while you were here. I so. did, right? <laughs> I did, because I play and I write, but it was more, I didn't just want to come and watch gigs. I threw myself into the Nashville experience. Right. It was never going to be released. <laughs> so, are you saying we can't find your music anywhere, or you don't want us to find your music anywhere? No, no, you can't find it. I'm not, I'm okay. not putting it out there. <laughs> but I'm going to finish the album, so maybe I will put it out. There you if go. If there's an album. Yeah, um, there you go. Well, what, well, Martin, what's, what, what has been a challenging project for you? Um, I think back in England, it was the sheer scale of... We're getting a lot of people moving from cities, buying old farms and they don't quite get the... So they'll have a perfectly workable, rustic farm wall, um, but they want it pretty. So they'll bring their urban ways to the countryside and so they want... I don't know, it's weird. They, it'll be like, can you rebuild the wall, but can you sort of just pretty it up? And I would say on sheer scale, we did a... We did a farm, it was over a few years, we must have done two miles of wall on that farm. That was hard because it's the same. What's nice about our job is we can be working in East Tennessee, we might then be in Arizona. You know, the, the variety makes it good, but yeah. when you're stuck in the same place same for a couple job. of years, a couple cool. of miles of wall, no. it wasn't nice stone. I mean, it was only gonna get a little bit better. That, that was pretty tough. And you had to add making it pretty, pretty to the list of other, you know, rules. And sometimes <laughs> you cannot polish a turd. And it was kind of like that. And here, I'm not a big guy. Bryce is. I'm not. I find you do stuff with big heavy stone here. I don't have the frame for it. It's very um, different than the stone in the UK. We, did, we just, so that's a challenge for You me. need about two Bryces to, to work. Or just scream, <laughs> scream for Bryce. I was allowed three, I could cry for him three times a day in East Tennessee. I disagree. <laughs> Bryce! Um, help, me, help me pick up this rock. <laughs> like, okay. Big stuff. And you do, you build on a bigger scale here. You really do. So you're using 100 pound, 100 pound rocks as the main body of the wall. We're not even talking about the big ones you're going to stick at the bottom. So, so that's tough, and you've got to learn lifting techniques, which I don't have yet. Um, yeah, it's on a different scale here. I know where there's a, a wall not too far from me that's, I don't think very many people know about it anymore. It's like back in the woods, back in the brush. Um, and uh, I'd like to have the stone. Nobody's using it. I'm pretty sure it was a mill dam. Wow. And it's cut blocks that are probably Massive. two feet yeah. by eight to ten feet long. A lot of them. I don't know how. I mean, you'd have to you'd have to do it all by machine. Rice, rice, rice. That's But they cool. got them there, didn't they? Yeah, that's right. They got them there with sleds, with and mules oxen. and oxen. Yeah, and, and like a big stone sleds, probably. Oh, that's cool. Well, one of, one of the final questions here, what, uh, who are the masters that inspire you? Sure. I mean, that's easy for me. Uh, Jeff Duggan, obviously, I worked with him for two months in Australia. Dude's awesome. A uh, bunch of guys up in uh, Vermont that I know, uh, Jared Flynn, uh, Brian Post, Michael Weissner, um, Chris Tangway is up in Maine. He's really good. Dean McClellan in Canada. Um, who am I missing? I don't know. It, it depends what kind of appeals to you. Well, I know those people definitely. Mm. I mean, they're all very different and they have different styles and they have different qualities, but all of their work, I think, is just... Are you missing Matt, Matthew Noon? <laughs> he is not a master craftsman. <laughs> uh, he said specifically master craftsman. Uh, <laughs> okay. One of the masters that inspire you, so... <laughs> yeah. 
I, I, mean, I, I, I think I mean, Matt's just my friend. I don't know. Like, I feel like, I'm like uh, Matt's my buddy. I had to mess with you. Yeah, no. He's a great guy. He's very I talented. I love following, following you know, both of you on Instagram. Like, you know, I'm not trying to knock the guy. <laughs> For me, it would be over here. Well, no, let me start. Back in England, um, I was really lucky when I started doing exams. I'd walled for a bit before, and then somebody said, hey, you can get certified. So I went to this place called the Eco Centre in Derbyshire, works with Derbyshire, and we were lucky enough to have three master craftsmen teaching there. So Gordon Wilton, who works with Andrew Goldsworthy, when he does a lot of his artistic stuff over in North America, Gordon goes, he's on his team. Um, one guy who, Next year, I'm organising trips for American wallers to go over to this place, and they're going to meet a guy called Trevor Rag, who was doing it from from a young child back in in England, Derbyshire farm walling. He started with he's he's in his late seventies, I think. If you're not Trevor, then I'm sorry. He's been doing it all his life. What he doesn't know about it isn't worth knowing, and. Another person, and she's significant because she was a master craftsman, one of the first people who taught me was a woman called Sally Hodgson. So I've never considered it odd that women do what we do, and there's some great women, aren't there? That's and she, she was one of the forerunners. So those three people, and over here, um, two guys who really stick out, um, Jared Flynn yep. for starting the Stone Trust. 100%. What this guy did, See, it was easy for me. I just went to the nearest farmer and said, can I practice on your walls? You haven't got that here. He had to, the books, to learn. He had to, he had to order books on it. There wasn't the internet when he was learning. But he did all that, um, and he created the Stone Trust, which is a phenomenal thing that he's given this yeah. country. He's put so much into that. I mean, he really was one of the big drivers to make that happen. Mm, and he took it to a level and then this guy, Brian Post, came in. Somebody else had hard-fought knowledge that he got. He, they, they, both of them went over to England and did their time learning. Um, had to. Yeah, had to. And Go where the knowledge is. But they're both master craftsmen. They're at, they're, Brian took it on from where Jared left it. Stone Trust is a great place. I was up there examining um, the weekend just gone, and it's a great place, beautiful, and they know what they're doing. So Dan Snow, place. you have to put in Dan Snow. I forgot Dan Snow. You did? Yeah, that was a mistake. He's great. He's like top shelf. He was one of the forerunners over here. Yeah, he? he's, got, he's got several books about dry stone walling. I got to actually work with him on a couple of jobs. He's, he's 70, and that dude, he has a perfect hammer swing. Like his, he's, he's 70. It's just totally fluid. Oh, it's, and it's just like, just in half. And I'm like, all right, well. That's... I'm like, Dan, you need a hand with that? He's like, no. I'm like, okay. <laughs> all right, bud. You know. Yeah. There's, there's some people who've really put their heads above the parapet and led the way. Yeah. You know, yeah. That, that, 100%. They should be respected. Sounds like the future of dry stone walling is maybe looking a little better now than it did 50 years ago. A lot of people have put in a lot of work yeah. to make that happen. I think it is an absolutely, it, it's a good career to have in this country. Yeah. You can make a very decent living doing it in this country. And there's a lot of, there's a lot to restore. There's a lot that needs to be restored and there's just, there is a growing need for this. And there's a growing need for just maintaining the knowledge, you know? You, you really need to keep that going. And like you said before, like there are a lot of people, they want to learn. They want to know how to fix and build and make things. So, you know, I think there's really... People are coming to it, and yeah. it's up to us. We're in a position now to help. Like I said about bringing the trade back to Tennessee, I'm serious about it. Yeah. You know, you, you only need 20 good wallers down here. You've got a community. That's these walls can be done and then the word will spread. Well, I'll be coming back down here regularly to work with Martin to teach more and more courses, more and more advanced courses, more and more testing. 
like there's really a big opportunity to to train up local people to be able to service Tennessee. I mean, just just in Tennessee, there's so many walls. Greatest state in the union, in my opinion. <laughs> That's his opinion. But uh, the patron state is shooting stuff. I mean, yes, I know that. Film. <laughs> I know that film. Oh uh, well, guys. I have so much appreciation and respect for um, your, your, your craftsmanship, the values that you have in your trade, and uh, the work that you're doing, you know, one rock at a time, as cliche as it sounds, and, but especially like your, your passion for not just keeping it alive, but trying to revive, revive your craft. And um, I greatly appreciate the time that you've spent with us here today um i very much value the time time is precious and um thank you so much for for sitting down and talking and and uh pouring your your guts out about what you love really appreciate it if you'd like to help us in this venture support axe and anvil on patreon where you'll also get early access and exclusive content Follow our journey on our website, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Axe and Anvil.